0: We're in this series that we've titled Bless, and it's based off of two books from Pastor Robert Morris. For those of you that were not able to get a copy last week, we have more that came in this week. Uh, Again, you've already paid for the books, and so you might as well take it and read it since you've already bought it. Um, It's yours, and so pick up a copy today. They are free. One book is called The Blessed Life. We've been giving this away as a church for about eight years, I still have people today that read it eight years ago who email me and thank me because they see the tangible difference in their life. You see, this is an area in our life that you can actually see uh, how you're doing spiritually. You can actually see it on a spreadsheet. I mean, understand, there's a lot of areas of your Christian faith that you really can't, it's hard to quantify, like, how am I as a husband? Am I a good husband? It's really hard you know, to measure that sometimes, and you can't really see that always on a spreadsheet. This is an area in your Christian faith that you can actually see on a spreadsheet. You can see very, very clearly how you're doing and God's favor and God's blessing on your life. And this is a book that many people have applied and they have seen God's favor and God's blessing on their life. This is the newest book, Beyond Blessed, which he actually calls the prequel to the first book. And this one deals with stewardship and it deals with management, it deals with legacy and it deals with you know how are we setting up for future generations. Both of these books are incredible. I want to encourage you to pick up a copy and read them there. If you're visiting our church family, these are a gift to you because we know this will bless your life, it'll bless your family, and it'll bless your future. So if you're visiting our church, please allow us to give you a book today. So stop by and pick a copy of each book up as you leave today. I've also been sharing stories every week of people in our church who have applied these principles and gone through our stewardship small groups. I want to share a story of actually one of our staff members today who wasn't always on our staff. He came in first as a church member, and then when he first came into the church, he was in a really bad place financially and went through a series just like what we're talking about today and decided to take some tough steps and get honest and get help and he's in a completely different position today. And that is our very own setter. So I want you to watch his story today of what
1: God has done in his life through this teaching. I remember, like, it was probably like four or five years ago, I had sat through a service uh, with a message similar to the series that we're in now, where Pastor Aaron is talking about the blessed life, and he's talking about financial stewardship. And I and I have been in a season in my life where I I wanted to go deeper, right? You have these seasons where, like, you just... You just feel stagnant. And I was like, God, I want to go deeper. I want to know your heart. And as clear as day, as we were wrapping up and, and closing with prayer, I heard I heard God saying, this is this is it. This is the next step for you. This is the next level for you. And so I approached Pastor Aaron. I said, Aaron, listen, I want to go all in, but I, I, I know that God wants me to take care of my finances and, and be a better steward. And so he connected me with Dave Barth, who was the financial uh, stewardship hub leader at the time. Um, And Dave said, "Okay, let's do this. And I gave him a little rundown. I'm almost sure he had a slight heart attack when I told him, like, I had like fifteen thousand dollars in debt and my credit score is like at 450. But he said, you know what? It starts with this admission and then we make a plan and we stick to the plan. And so, uh, (laughs) you know, we embarked on what would turn out to be a, a, a year long journey for my family where we were really just started diving into the heart of God about finances. And I think, you know, it was crazy to see, for me, it was the first time I really understood that God talks about finances like so much in scripture. Uh, And secondly, how like so little of the course was about budgeting. Like it was really about renewing your mind and, and getting to the heart of God uh, as it relates to being a good steward. And I, it was one of the first times that I started understanding this concept of God wanting to bless me, not only so that my family can be blessed because, you know, he just loves us. Uh, but also so we could be a blessing to others. You know, I think just the way I grew up, the mentality was like, you know, you know, what can I get for me store up in my own house, uh, so that I can just acquire stuff. But, you know, I was able to see for the first time that God wants me to be a blessing because there are people in my community that needs to be blessed. There are people in, in, in my family that need to be blessed. Um, and that I could be that vessel. I could be that person that God uses to, to, to bless other people. Uh, and so we made a plan, right? We made the plan and we started budgeting and, you know, <laughs> Best thing I know, you know, $15,000 turns to 12, 12 turns to eight, 3,000 becomes one, and one becomes five, and next thing you know, you know, we're we're sending that last payment in. And all the while, another cool thing was happening, right? That 450 credit score was you know, went to 500, you know, went to 550, 600. It hovered between six and seven for a while, and I called Dave, and I said, Dave, I'm going for eight. I, it's always been a dream of mine to, to just have that 800, to be in that excellent zone. Not just good, but excellent. And actually, just three months ago, I was able to call Dave and say, Dave, you're not going to believe this, but... I, I broke the 800 uh, 800 point um, credit score limit, and I'm at like 815, and I could feel like a teardrop over the phone, but it was just incredible. And I just feel like, man, this has been like, like financial freedom has been one of the, hands down, I feel like it's tremendously impacted my marriage tremendously impacted the way that I parent my children. And it has tremendously impacted impacted the personal influence that I can now have with other people, be it in conversation or just being able to bless other people. I never knew it could feel so good to, to, to be used by God, to just bless people with things that they may need and just meet basic needs for other people. So man, it really is life changing.
0: I tell you, that is incredible to go from 400 to over 800 in your credit score. Uh, This stuff does work. Handling things God's way does work. If you're interested in one of our stewardship groups, the interest list is forming now. You can email us and be on the interest list for the fall groups that are coming up. And again, this is for everybody. This is not for people who are struggling financially. This is for everyone. We've had people in a really good position financially, go through these groups and say it's made such a difference in how we think about legacy, how we think about the future, how we how we steward and handle things. We can do things so much better. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that if you've never had a chance to be a part of it. Today, we're going to deal with really the key subject for the entire series. Like If you don't understand today, it's going to be very, very difficult to do anything else in this series, to really... Uh, understand how to apply any of the other principles. And it's one of those messages that half of you are going to hate me and half of you are going to love me. Like ha- half of you who are married are going to be nudging your spouse saying, this is exactly what I've been telling you. You don't need that extra purse. You don't need those extra golf clubs. Like like you just be content with what you have. And then the other half are going to be very upset with me and probably go find another church this week and... <laughs> Just, I don't want a pastor who messes with that stuff. Like, I, don't, I don't want to hear about that. But you need to know how you handle your credit card is just as much a part of your Christian life as your daily devotions, like your time in prayer and reading the Bible every morning. There's no difference. Like, like money is a part of our Christian faith. It's a part of our spiritual walk, and the Bible has an awful lot to say about it. So today we're going to look at contentment how do we be content? And here's the problem with contentment. I don't know if you suffer with this or struggle with this, but one of my problems when it comes to the area of contentment is it's simply this. I like stuff. I don't know about you, but I like stuff a lot. Like, there's a lot of stuff out there that I like. There's a lot of stuff out there that I have convinced myself I absolutely need. Like, I need more stuff in my life because I don't have enough stuff so far. Like, like there's more stuff, and every day they're telling me they're about new stuff that I need, and, and this new stuff is gonna make my life better. It's gonna make me feel better about myself. It's gonna make me think I look better. Like, there is a lot of stuff out there that I need, in contentment, is difficult in today's consumer-driven culture. We are the most marketed-to culture in the history of civilization. They say that the average American sees over 3,000 commercial messages every single day, either on the internet or TV or, or YouTube or somewhere. A child born today will see over 1 million commercials before the age of 20. And every single one of these commercials, all of these marketing agencies are trying to drive home two very important points to them that they want you to believe. And it's simply this you need what we're selling. Like, you can't live without this. Like, you absolutely need this in your life. And not only do you need what we're selling, you need it now. Like, you cannot wait for it. Like, tomorrow is too late. You need this today. And so, you need to do whatever it takes to get it now because you absolutely need this in your life. And by and large, we're okay with this, aren't we? Because we love stuff. Like we love stuff. We love our stuff and we want more stuff. And so we're, we're by and large, okay with this messaging. Now I've heard somebody call this a disease. They call it the disease of stuffitis. I don't know if you've ever fallen ill to stuffitis where it's like, I, I, I've got stuffitis. Like, there's just stuff I need, stuff I want. In your message notes, stuffitis causes nearsightedness. That's what stuffitis will create in your life. Nearsightedness, where we only see what's right in front of us and we're blind to the long term consequences. Anyone that's ever negotiated a car. Has, has been put in this position. I mean, you know, the car salesman will never tell you what the car costs, they'll only ask you, What is your budget? Like, have you ever been asked that question? What is your budget? Like, how much do you want to spend? Well, well, what are you talking about? How much do I want to spend on the car? How much do I want to spend every month? And they want you focused on the short term. They want you focused on what do you want to spend every month so that you're not thinking of the long-term consequences so that you walk out of the dealership buying a $22,000 car that you're going to end up spending $39,000 for. Because you didn't think of the long term. You just thought of the short term. What does it cost me every month? Instead of the real question, what does it cost me? And that's what happens with stuffitis. It creates nearsightedness where we'd rather use our credit card to buy something now than actually have to wait till we actually have the money to buy it. It's the microwave age we live in where I want everything just a few seconds at the push of a couple buttons. And we talked about this a few weeks ago on the box of Pop-Tarts now. They give you a recipe for how to cook a Pop-Tart in a microwave for three seconds for those of us that don't have one minute to cook a Pop-Tart the way it's supposed to be cooked. I mean, everyone knows Pop-Tarts go in the toaster. They do not go in a microwave, but we're so busy today, we don't have a whole minute, so we we, we do the three-second version and put it in the microwave because we like our stuff and we want it now, now the Bible has a word for stuffitis. It's a difficult word to say, but it's the word covetousness. Covetousness. It means greedy, grasping, having or showing a strong desire, especially for material possessions. Like, I need stuff, and I need more stuff, and I need it now, and or for another person's possessions. And this word sews up in a very heavy list in the Bible. Let me show you. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, he says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. So anything like in this fallen, cursed world that we live in, fornication, uncleanness, passion, those are three sexual sins. I mean, this is a heavy list. Evil desire, that's like hatred and and murder in your heart. Uh, So this is a heavy list that Paul is getting into. And look what he includes in the list, staphitis. He says, and stuffitis or covetousness, which is idolatry. Do you realize that, that stuffitis is idolatry? Because I'm putting it above God. I'm saying, I need this so bad that I can't wait for God to provide it for me. Visa's going to provide it for me. MasterCard's going to provide it for me. I'll provide, because I'm not going to wait for God to provide it. I need it now. God is not my provider. Money is my provider, and these things become idols in our life. And what we need is contentment. But the question is, what is contentment? Because contentment is the key to the whole series. Contentment is soul rest. Plain and simple, it is soul rest. In his book, Authentic Faith, Gary Thomas, the author, says this, contentment is nothing more than soul rest. It is satisfaction, peace, assurance, and a sense of well-being that is cultivated by pursuing the right things, Instead of more power, more money, more pleasure, more control for all the wrong reasons, no, we have soul rest, so we seek an abundance of grace and peace. You see, when you live under grace, when you know the God of the universe who created everything, hung every star in the heaven, gave his son for you, and you understand the grace of all of that, it brings you to a place of supernatural contentment where you don't feel the pressure to keep up with the Joneses. But unfortunately today, if I ask the question, is your soul at rest, most people will say no. Instead of their soul being at rest, what we see today is restless souls. We have people who are restless thinking about the raise that they didn't get. They're restless thinking about the new computer they they have to have. They're restless thinking about the new car, the new house, the new swimming pool that just seems out of reach. They're restless thinking about the neighbor who just got a new race, the neighbor who just got a new computer, the neighbor who just got a new car, the neighbor who just put in a new swimming pool. And this is so far from where God wants us to be. Paul teaches about this in Philippians 4. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So what's happening is the church in the Philippian area, Philippi sent Paul a care package while he was in prison and in chapter four he takes a moment to just kind of say thank you but in the middle of his his thank you, he's got to point out something. he goes, I'm not saying this like I'm not thanking you because I'm in need. like I appreciate what you've done for me. I appreciate this care package. But you need to know, I wasn't in need before I received it, for I have learned to be content. Can I tell you, contentment is something you can learn. It's not natural. It's not easy. But you can learn how to be content, whatever the circumstances. And again, without contentment, you're not going to be a good steward with money. You're always going to be driven to be foolish with money if you don't learn how to be content. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. There's a secret to being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. And here's the secret. I can do all this through Him. The secret is through Him, through Christ who gives me the strength. Now I know this passage is difficult to process. If you're if you if you've been afflicted with stuffitis, like if you if you have a case of stuffitis, this is hard to kind of deal with. But I want you to understand. Paul wrote this while sitting in prison, which makes it so much more powerful. When Paul wrote this, he had no freedom, he had no privacy, he had no assurance that he would ever be released. It makes it so much stronger. This is a man who once had everything. Paul had power, he had prestige, he had fame, he had influence, he had worldly possessions, and now he's stuck in prison. And they send him this care package, and in chapter 4, he takes time to say "Say thank you, but he can't say thank you without making it absolutely clear. Look, look it's a blessing you sent this to me, but let me be clear. I want you to understand, especially for those of you who are free and those of you who are well taken care of, and you've got plenty of stuff The contentment that I have right now is not about the stuff that I have with me. It is a condition of my heart. Because in Christ, all of my wants, all of my needs, all of my desires have already been met. Can you imagine what life would be like with contentment? Could you imagine the way you would live your life if you got to the place where if I have Christ, I have everything? With Christ, I have everything I want, I have everything I need, I have everything I've ever desired. And grace produces that level of contentment in your life. How would you think of yourself differently if you had the supernatural contentment that was produced by grace in your life? How would you see things differently? Let me give you three characteristics of contentment today. Here's number one in your notes. Contentment means trusting God, not visa contentment means I trust God, not Visa. Now, I know some of you are thinking to yourself, wow, good, I'm off the hook because I don't have a Visa. I have MasterCard. No, no, no. (laughs) You can say MasterCard. You can say American Express. You can say money. You can say whatever you want, but it means I trust God, not money. I trust God, not financing. I trust God, not my credit card. And here's the point where do you turn when you have a financial crisis? Do you turn to God's Word, or do you turn to your Visa card? And I know people often will excuse the them lack of savings in their life, like they didn't save, and they weren't a good steward, and they were foolish with their money, and they just, they excuse it, and they say things, well, I'm just trusting God to provide what I need when I need it. And I've actually heard people take you know, a a verse in Philippians 4 that Paul says later on, completely out of context. When Paul says, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ, they say, well, I don't need a savings because God will meet my needs when I have needs. Now, let me be very clear. We do not ever, ever, ever put our faith or put our trust in money or in a savings account. The Bible says that the rich think of their wealth as a fortified city, Can I I be honest with you? There is no such thing as financial security. That is a myth. It does not exist. And I know you've been taught that, you know, from childhood that you need to be financially secure, that there is a magic number out there. And if you can arrive at that magic number, every eventuality, you know, will, will be, you know, provided for and you will be financially, there's no such thing as financial security. The only security you will ever find is in Christ, in God. So we do not put our faith in money. We do not put our faith in Visa. We put our trust in God. But let me be very clear. One of the ways I trust God is by saving money so that he can provide for me in times of need. I trust God by saving money. What do I mean? Well, the truth of Scripture says wise people save money, fools spend it all. This is what Proverbs says, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Fools live off of 100% of their income or more. You know, Unfortunately, there are people out there today living off of more than 100% of their income. So if we say that we are going to trust God, what that means is I also have to trust God's word. To trust God, I have to trust his word. Well, his word, the Bible tells me That I need to save money. So when we're operating from a position of trust, then I'm going to be prepared when a financial crisis or a financial emergency happens in my life. And I had this thought yesterday when I was putting the message together. How many times has God provided for your financial crisis, provided for your financial emergency, but you spent it before the emergency happened? You ever have that thought? How many times did God actually provide for you, but you ended up spending it before it took place? Like you took everything God gave you to provide for this financial crisis that God knew was going to happen in your life, but you ended up spending it over here. And so when the financial crisis had, you're sitting there like, God's not providing, God's not No, he did provide. You just spent it before it actually took place because we weren't being good Stewards, I don't want this message to make anyone leave feeling condemned. We all, including myself, got into bad positions financially and had to get honest and had to figure out how to do things God's way, and this is part of the process. But the truth is, 7 out of 10 Americans today can't even cover a $5,000 emergency without borrowing money or putting it on a credit card. And I want to tell you that trusting God is a proven financial principle, but to trust God, we have to trust his word. And the amazing thing about handling money God's way is it works when the economy is up and it works when the economy is down. When you you live according to financial biblical principles, it works whether you get a raise and it works whether you get laid off. God's principles and planning work in the real world. These are not obscure spiritual realities. This is real world day to day financial advice from God's words. Let me give you just two points under this, two subpoints. First is live on a budget. Live, it is very biblical to live on a budget. And it's amazing to me how many people have no idea where the money's going. They have no concept of budgeting. They just, they just hope that it works out at the end of the month. Like you sit down with them and, and you ask them, well, how much do you earn? And well, we earn $5,000 a month. Okay, well, let's look at your expenses. Well, there's you know, $1,200 to taxes, and then $2,200 for rent, and $300 for my car payment, $200 for insurance, and then there's my, my phone and my internet bill, which is another $250, and then there's food, $300 over here. Before they're done, they've added up like $52 to $5,300, and they're living off of fire, and they can't, they can't even see it, and just slowly, they're, they're building their debt portfolio, because they, they haven't lived off of a budget. A budget is like a map. And if you don't have a map, you're going to get lost. How many people are financially lost today? Because they don't have a map. And the good news is you don't have to write your own map. There are great maps out there already written. That's what our stewardship groups are all about. That's what Mr. Budget will help you do. Mr. Budget can be your best friend, especially married couples. Mr. Budget can be your friend. Next time your spouse comes to you and says, I really really need this in my life, you can say, that's so wonderful. I would love to buy it for you. Let's ask Mr. Budget and see what Mr. Budget says. Because Mr. Budget's not emotional. I tried that this week. My wife said, you better be careful. Mr. Budget is going to get you killed. (laughs) Mr. Budget is not your friend right now. (laughs) I'm like, I tell you, Mr. Budget is very unemotional about things, and he will help you. Here's another one. Live below your means. Again, it's amazing how many people are living above their income. They say right now 60%, 60%, that's more than half of America, is living off of 100 to more than 100% of their income, living off of all or more of their salary. That can't continue. Let me put it like this, as strong as I possibly can at risk of offending some of you. When you buy things that you really don't need with money that you do not have, what am I talking about? You go out there and you buy the new golf clubs and you just put it on your credit card. You don't got the money for it today, but you put it on your credit card, pay it for some time later. You go buy that new purse. You go buy that new surfboard. Whatever it is, when you're spending money that you don't have, you are shaking your fist at God saying, you don't provide for me. You don't take care of me. I have to take care of me because you don't, pro- you don't care about me, God. Because if you cared about me, I wouldn't have to charge this right now. If you cared about me, you would provide this for me because you know I need this. And if you're not going to provide it for me, I'll provide it for myself. Look, I know that's strong, but we need to start viewing the way we handle things Biblically. Remember, last week we learned that you know the famous phrase in the Bible, well done, good and faithful servant, only occurs one time in the entire Bible, and it has strictly to do with how you handle money. It doesn't have to do with how, how you know good of a Christian you are. It has strictly to do with how you handle money. Here's the second one: Contentment means being thankful for what you have. This is a huge one. Being thankful for what you have. Have you ever Have you ever noticed how your attitude begins to change about what you have as soon as you get this attack of stuffitis? Like like as soon as you see something you really have to have and really, really, really want, have you ever noticed how your attitude about what you currently have begins to shift, begins to change? They they actually have something in America today called car fever. you ever had car fever? It's like the flu, you get car fever. Like As Americans, we love our cars, don't we? That's why as an American, I will sign up for a seven-year auto loan just to impress somebody at a stoplight that I'll never meet <laughs> because we love our cars. And what happens when car fever begins to, to sink in? All of a sudden, you start checking out new models of cars, and then, 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 then what begins to happen is your current car begins to look worse and worse. Like, you were in love with your car two months ago, and now it's like, now that you've seen the new model, all of a sudden the interior starts to look and you start seeing stains that you've never seen before, and the exterior starts to look dull. And all of a sudden, I know there—I know I, know I can hear the brakes squealing. Like, like I, I, you start hearing things that aren't there. Like the brakes are squealing. I know the brakes are squealing. I need a new car. There's, there's a noise in the engine. I can hear a noise in the engine, and it brings you to this inevitable conclusion that I need a new car. I need a safer car. I need a bigger car, and I need it now. That's car fever. And it's so funny how, how we convince ourselves that all of a sudden, what we have isn't sufficient. What we have isn't good enough. And, and we tend to kind of excuse this behavior in our culture today because it's so common. We even laugh about it. We joke about it. We even you know, laugh at our friends about it. But the harsh reality is this attitude is not biblical at all. Let's look at some biblical attitudes. David says in Psalms, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. So we need to have an attitude of gratitude for he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. Who is satisfying your thirst? Who's filling your thirst? Are you filling it? Is Visa filling it? Is, is, is the financing companies satisfying your thirst? Or are you allowing God to satisfy Your thirst. Paul says to Timothy, For everything God created is good. And here's a huge principle here. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Huge principle there. What you are grateful for, you appreciate. As soon as you stop being grateful for something, you begin to reject it. That's what car fever is. As soon as you start being grateful for the car you have, you begin to reject the car. You have gratitude is the key to appreciating it. Paul goes on in chapter 6 to say, Godliness with contentment is great gain. One of the greatest things you can do is is have a love for God and be content in that love for God. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Are you teaching your heart to be content? Are you teaching your children to be content? See, when we spend money we don't have, They tell us right now, um, 80% of all tax returns are spent before people even receive them. Think about that. 80% of tax returns, people spend them before the money is even in the bank. Here's the problem with that. God wired us as human beings for hope. Hope is what brings happiness. Hope is what brings joy to our life. When you take away hope, you take away happiness. Paul says this, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? See, we don't have hope anymore because we don't have to wait for anything because we can just charge it. There's no such thing in our culture as delayed gratification. You see, when I was young, we had layaway. And you know what layaway did is it produced hope. And you know what hope did is it produced joy. And you know what joy did is it produced appreciation all because of layaway. I would take a toy, I would take it to the, to the clerk at the store, and I'd put it on layaway, and I'd give him a couple dollars. And then next week, I'd go into the store with my allowance, and I'd give him a couple more dollars. And then the next week, I'd go in a couple more dollars. And, and six or seven weeks later, my hope grew, my joy grew, I finally rescued it out of layaway. And I tell you, I appreciated that toy, I took care of that toy, I cherished that toy, what happens today is we just put it on a credit card, and as soon as you have it, there's no more hope. You don't enjoy it, and you move on to the next thing in your heart. Because there's no such thing as delayed gratitude. And we were wired for this. God wired us to work for things, God wired us to wait for things. It's hope. One of the clinical one of the clinical definitions of depression today is a person who has lost all. Hope. Well, the United States right now is the most in-debt country in the world, and we are the most depressed country in the world. All because we don't have to wait for anything anymore. There's a direct correlation between our debt and our depression because of delayed gratification. And God doesn't mind you getting a new television. Let me be clear. He just doesn't want you to grieve over it after you've bought it. He doesn't want you to have to be dealing with that television 18 months later as you're still paying interest on it. He would just rather allow you to let him richly provide it. Here's the third thing. Contentment means giving generously in all circumstances. See, if you're not content, you can't be generous. Contentment allows you to realize that God's provided everything I need. I can be content with what God has given me, so I have the ability to be generous. And generous even when we have very little to give. See, this is one of the the, the powers of the tithe in our life. You see, what the tithe does is it serves as a reminder of ownership. Every time I return the tithe to God, I'm recognizing a concrete reality that God owns it all. And here's the good news. If I recognize God as the owner, then I also recognize God provides it all. If God owns it all, God has the ability to provide it all And it brings me to a state of contentment that God will provide everything I need. Let me show you a story quickly in the Bible. Elijah, the man of God, is sent to a widow living in poverty in a very difficult time economically. There's a famine. There's a drought. And this story shows us the principle of the tithe. It says, so he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow, woman living in poverty, was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar? Now, again, there's a drought. If there's any water, it's just a little bit. And he's asking this woman in poverty to give him the little water she has. So I may have a drink. As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful. Have you ever been to a place in your life where all you had was a handful? Like, I only got a handful. I don't know how I'm going to get through the week. I don't know how we're going to survive this situation. I don't have enough. I don't have what it is. Can I tell you, giving when you only have a handful is the most important thing you can do? Because watch what takes place. I only got a handful. I'm not going to survive. A flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And She's not exaggerating. People are starving to death all around her. She knows that after they eat this meal, there's nothing left. They're going to die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do just as you've said, but first. Remember the tithe is always first. If the first is holy, everything else I have becomes holy. If the first portion is holy, everything else is holy. First make a small loaf of bread for me, what you have, and bring it to me. Then use what's left. That's the definition of tithing. Bring God the first, when the first becomes holy, then we can use what's less. But what's left becomes holy and it becomes blessed and it becomes protected by God. Then use what's left to make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, "The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry. You see, when the first is holy, everything else you have becomes holy. And when everything else you have becomes holy, it will not be used up and it will not dry up. And it will provide, it doesn't matter what the economy is doing, it matters what God is doing. And it will be provided for, but the key is contentment. See, you cannot tithe If you are not convinced that what God is giving you is enough to meet all of your needs, that God is your provider, being content with what God... And here's the, the, the issue of this story. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had this thought. Why didn't God send Elijah to a wealthy family? You ever thought that? Like, surely there was wealthy people living in Zarephath like, why did God send Elijah to a widow who was living in poverty, struggling to survive, and asking this widow for her son's food? I mean, that just seems so unfair. See, here's the point of the story. God didn't need the widow's stuff. God was trying to do something for her. God was saying, listen, if you'll put me first, if you'll allow the first to become holy, everything else you have will become holy, and when it becomes holy, it'll be supernaturally protected, it'll be supernaturally increased, it will not run dry, it will not be used up, and you will not die, you will not starve to death, you will survive. This When everyone else around you is dying, you will survive. Why? Because what you have has become holy. But it takes contentment to do this. And this brings me back to the purpose of the series. Remember, you know, the purpose was Genesis 12 too. God says, I'll bless you, that you will be a blessing. Let me show you the New Testament version of that verse. Paul says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. I want, I want you to hear this. God wants to enrich you in every way. He wants to enrich your business. He wants to enrich your investments. He wants to enrich your career. He wants to enrich your salary. He wants to enrich your income. God wants to enrich you in every way, but there's a purpose so that you can be generous on every occasion. Why? Because through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Do you know when a Christian is generous, people go to heaven? When a Christian is generous, it brings people to heaven. God uses it to bring people into heaven through our generosity. And the problem is the world today is not teaching contentment. It's not teaching, it's teaching the opposite. The world is teaching, take what you can get, borrow what you want, do it now, don't wait, satisfy. It's all about, you know, short-term desire without any regard to the long-term consequences. So let me give you three thoughts to close. First, contentment is not a short-term mindset. This, this, this is, this is, we're playing the long game here. Contentment will never satisfy the short-term desire. It's always this attitude of gratitude. It's a soul rest for the long term. Here's what Proverbs says, he who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son. Do you know what the word prudent means? Prudent means thinking about the long term. Prudent means thinking out the long-term implication for whatever you're doing today but uh, but he, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgrace for it, not under grace son contentment is an active choice paul said i had to learn this wasn't easy wasn't natural i had to learn the secret of being content it is active it is active and then finally contentment makes us available for what god has in store for us too many of us aren't available when god comes asking What do I mean? When you are content, contentment allows you to live on a budget. When you are content, you have the ability to live on a budget. When you're not content, it's very difficult to live on a budget. It's very difficult to live on a budget when you're not content. When you're content, you can live below your means. You can live beneath your income when you're content. When you're not content, you tend to spend more than you should be spending you tend to put yourself in really bad financial positions. See, when you're content, you build a savings account. Not so that you can trust or put faith in that savings account. No, that savings account is because you're a good steward, because you're content. But God uses that savings account to provide for you during financial emergencies. And God uses that savings account to give you an ability to be generous when he asks you to be generous. See, when you're content, you can freely say yes when God calls you to go, give, serve, do. But the problem is we struggle. There's really just two options for living life. The first is live for the short-term and create long-term problems. I'm just going to live for the now. I'm going to charge it up now. I'm going to finance it now. I'm not going to think through how much it's going to cost me in the long-term. I'm just going to think through what it costs me every month. Too many people are doing this. Or we can live for the long term and create some short-term discomfort. Yes, I may have to wait for that. Yes, I may not be able to get it today. Yes, I may not be able to buy the extra latte at Starbucks this week. Yes, I may have to say no to some things, but I'm living for the long term. you got to learn to tell yourself no sometimes and allow God to do incredible things in your life. Because here's the promise in Proverbs. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil. See, too many of us are creating wealth with painful toil. We're creating wealth through credit cards. And when I mean creating wealth, we're we're creating a wealthy lifestyle. We're we're buying wealth. We're, 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 We're providing a wealthy lifestyle for ourselves, but it's creating a lot of toil. Yes, we've got the new car, but now we've got the payment. We've got the interest. We're now drowning in debt. Our marriage is suffering. Parenting is suffering. We're struggling. Yes, we, we got a lot of nice things, but there's a lot of toil associated to it. Let God bring you the wealth. Let God provide for you. Let God do it his way. You will enjoy life. But again, the key is coming to a place of contentment. I love the I love the saying, if you'll live like no one else today, you'll be able to live like no one else tomorrow. Like you got all your neighbors trying to keep up with the Joneses, you got all your neighbors making foolish decisions financially to keep up an appearance because they have stuffitis, because there's things they have to have today. Why don't you decide I'm not gonna live like everyone else? so that I can live like no one else tomorrow. Because what's going to happen, and we see this today, we got people in their 70s and 80s who have to work, not because they enjoy their job. They got to do it to survive. They got to do it so they don't starve. They should be able to enjoy the season of life they're in, but they can't enjoy the season of life because they enjoyed their younger years without any thought to how it would affect their future. And so now they're struggling to survive years later in life because they they lived it up when they're younger without any prudence at all. So let's learn to be content, follow God's plan for our finances, and set ourselves up for an incredible future as God provides everything we need according to his word. Would you close your eyes with me? Father, in the name of Jesus. God, I know this is not an easy message especially in the culture of where we're at today in America. Lord, contentment is just not what we're taught. It's not what is communicated. It's not what we've learned. But God, we desperately need it. And so I pray that you bring each of us to a place of of understanding contentment. Speak to each of our heart and each of our life for what we need out of this message so that we can be great stewards, so that we can be generous, so that we can set our future up, so that we can leave an inheritance for our children and our children's children. As Paul said, let us learn this secret that if I have Christ, I have everything. I have everything. And I can enjoy what you've already provided without being so consumed with what I don't have. Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to close with one song of worship. As always, our prayer team will be available. If you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, you've never become what we call a Christian, I want to encourage you to come talk to somebody on our prayer team today. They'd love to explain to you what it means to be a Christian and take that step of faith. If you're here today and this message has struck a nerve, you're welcome to pray with somebody on our team. I would encourage you to sign up for one of our stewardship groups Get get involved in one of our groups and get a financial roadmap for your life that will set you up for the future. God's biblical plan for your money works and it will benefit you. And if there's anything else going on, maybe you filled out a prayer card today. Before you turn in the prayer card, why don't you bring it forward and let somebody on the team personally pray with you today before you leave. One of the best things we can offer you is somebody that will just stand with you And pray before God with you today. Let's worship today and then we'll be closed.